we're going to try to get through this. <laughs> Amen. So as we were talking about the last couple of weeks on uh, coming from Jude and uh, talking about contending for the faith, you know, and I heard one pastor say, and I think I said it before, uh, but probably differently. Um, he said that uh, the particular, actually, I think um, it might have been in Jude, I can't remember, but he was talking about how you know, churches, they have issues, they have problems. And he talked about how his church really didn't have a lot of problems. And he attributed that to going through the word line by line. You know, so um, it's vital for that because, like I said before, you know, those that don't really want to hear the word, those that may be tares and the enemy may try to bring, they're not going to sit through hearing the word and going line by line. They they just they just can't sit through that. And, um you know, so that's that's a good thing. Right. Um, so, you know, we're, we're we were talking about contending for the faith and we, you know, as Christians, as humans, you know, we, we contend for a lot of things in this life and we'll contend for things that we consider to be truth. Right. And then not that that's always a bad thing, but we have to be careful sometimes because that truth can actually be our opinion. And more so than our fact, right? But we, we, the Bible doesn't tell us to contend for truth, but it says contend for the faith. What's the faith? The faith of the gospel. So we contend for the truth of the gospel and, and not necessarily truth per se. So when we contend for truth and not necessarily contend for the faith, we can contend out of our flesh. And then now we start rising up and our flesh starts railing up. And then now, we start to end up persecuting the world. And we have to be careful of that, right? Because technically, really, we don't want to per be persecuted, right? So, but neither do they, right? But we will speed up the process without persecution and we start persecuting the world, right? So we have to be careful of those things. Amen. So let's turn to Jude, if you're not there already. All right. So, I, you know, I... I uh, we, we, we just did uh, verse 4. We're going to get through a lot more today. <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> well, I guess I shouldn't promise. We'll see what the Lord says. <laughs> but we, we talked about, uh, you know, how, you know, the scripture says in Jude 4, how men came in unawares. And I talked about how that, that word men there is actually gender neutral. It means men and women, right? How they came in unaware and, we, unaware and unnoticed. And they came in, I talked about how they came in stealthily. And I had us look around to each other, say, you know, you may be sitting next to one of them, right? Because sometimes we just don't know. And we talked about how a lot of them, they started out in the faith, but they didn't continue in the faith, right? So let's uh, look at verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, Afterward, destroy those who what, did not believe. Right. So we know we're all familiar with Israel, God leading Israel out of Egypt. Now, the thing about just a quick reminder, Israel was in what they were in Egypt, murmuring and complaining. Right. And they were being used as slaves and God heard their cry. And then God sent Moses to them as a deliverer to, to take them out. And they were happy and they came out. But guess what? As soon as they came out, not even 40 days, they start murmuring and complaining. Right. And, and 
they saw miracles that nobody else has seen. But yet, they still murmur and complain. And God says what? They did not believe. And, it, and it's hard for us to imagine that they could see these miracles and still not believe and trust in God and the fact that God is trying to give them freedom, but they wanted to go back to slavery. Right? That, that's hard for us to comprehend. But I talked about this before um, in one of the messages, how we as Christians, we could do the same thing. When things start getting hard for us as Christians, now we start maybe start to long for the things. But I kind of had it better when I wasn't saved. Right. And we got to, And then that leads to, like Israel, a lot of Christians backsliding, going back. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read this in Psalms 95. This is how the Lord describes Israel. Psalms 95, verses 10 and 11. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So disobedience just doesn't start. Right. It may start with a thought, but then as soon as it starts to get in our hearts, that's when we start to exercise and do things that we should not do and things that go against the things of God. And that goes back to even whether or not we're sinning. Right. Nobody just picks up and sin for the most part, most part purposely. If you've been walking with the Lord, you start out with a thought and then you start to meditate on those thoughts. And then eventually it's in your heart and then you act out on it. Right. So the warning in Jude, through Jude is clear. The people of Israel started out from Egypt well enough. They had many blessings from God along the way, but they did not endure to the end because they did not believe God's promise of power and protection. See, they wanted the good life. They wanted the easy life. And we have to remember, even as Christians, this life, this walk is not easy. We're going to face some tough times, some trials, some tribulations, right? Just being in this world, because the world operates opposite of the things of God but we have to stand firm with God and not look for the easy way out and that's why so many Christians are gravitating to a lot of ministries today because everything is gimme 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 right what appeases the flesh and that's not what God wants us to do and, and really what it, it, these are first few eight these first eight verses here uh, excuse me verse five through eight it starts talking about the judgment that's coming to these false teachers. All right. So two examples that are from verse five here. It assures us that these certain men that crept in unnoticed causing trouble will certainly be judged. Right. We can't do what we want to do, even as Christians, and think that we won't be judged if we go against the word of God. Even though they may have started out well in their walk with God, Jew says that certain men that God afterward would destroy those who did not believe, just like he said with uh, Israel, right? And then secondly, it warns us that we must follow Jesus to the end, right? Because Jesus, he was bruised and battered for us, right? He could stop at any time, but he didn't do that, right? So we have to stay with him and continue on to the end. Verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So that can cause people to stumble at that passage right there. It's like, well, what are these angels? So there are a few theories, and I'll give you three of them. Right. So number one, they say that these angels were um, could have been the angels that were guarding uh, Eden when Adam and Eve got put out. And then some say some theologians say that they were the. Some of the one third that fell 
that rebelled with Satan. And then you have those that say that um, they were the sons of God um, from Genesis chapter 6. So Genesis 6 and 1 and 2 says this. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So truth be told, we don't know what these angels did to get reserved uh, in this manner. But my belief, my opinion is that uh, that they were the sons of God. So why do I say it? let's turn to Second uh, Peter chapter two. I remember when I said that Jude quotes a lot from Second uh, Peter. Verse four and five. For God, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. These are the same angels that Jude's talking about and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly. All right, so let's go back to Jude. All right, so I'm going to read verse 6 again, and then verse 7. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a familiar manner to the in a, in a similar manner to, to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So we know we're all familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So they were actually a, a rich and prosperous city. And there's a lot of sin going on <laughs> in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we're familiar how the two angels showed up in the appearance of men and that the town came and, both, and the scriptures say both young and old came in order to have sexual relations with the two men. Now, I don't think they knew that they were angels. Maybe Lot did, but these um, place say that is them. Going after strange flesh because God, even though they didn't know it was angels, God didn't create man to have sexual relations with men. Right. right? He didn't create women to have sexual relations with women. And he didn't create angels to have sexual relations with women neither. Right. So that's part of that strange flesh. Strange flesh means not of their kind. Right. So that's why I say that six is probably talking about the sons of God in Genesis chapter six. All right. So. We move along. So this again gives uh, assures us of, of two lessons here. One, the certain men causing trouble will be judged, no matter how much they have been blessed in the past. Just as Solomon and Gomorrah were once wonderfully blessed, but essentially suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. So will it be for these certain men, these false teachers. And guess what? These angels, they were once in the presence and the glory of God, and they rebelled just like Satan did, right? And guess what? They're going to spend all this time, they're bound in chains. Un unable, all these years, all these centuries, they're bound in chains. And 
we don't want to be like that, right? So that gives us, secondly, it warns us that we must, again, continue walking with Jesus, right? Because if we don't walk with Jesus, then we can fall, be in danger of just like these other people. All right, uh, let's go to verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitary. So they call them dreamers, right? So why are they dreamers and they defile the flesh? They are led by their sensual desires. They use, they reject authority by allowing their dreams to supersede the word of God. Right? So now you see some ministers and some preachers, some teachers, some traveling teachers, they'll give you a whole bunch of dreams and revelations and visions that they have from God, but it doesn't line up with the word of God. And we got to be careful. So we are, we are not to entertain that stuff. But see, some of us, we still entertain that stuff because we're thinking that we can still balance it out. So let's go to uh, John. Not the Gospel of John, sorry. Uh, where I want to go? Hold on. Let's see where I want to go. Second John. Second John. Second John. So we're going to see here, when we entertain this, then we partake in what they do. All right, we there? Second John 7. There's only one chapter in Second John. All right. So understand right here what John is talking about here. He's actually, he's writing to the church, and what they were known to have at this time was traveling teachers that would travel from town to town and, and go into these house churches or go into these ministries, and they begin to teach, and they start to teach things that did not line up with the Word of God. So even though he's talking about these traveling ministers, this point still apply today. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. So wait a minute. Do not confess, confess Jesus Christ coming to the flesh. What they are is pseudo-Christ. So what is, a, what is a pseudo-Christian? That's what I meant to say. Pseudo-Christian. One who sincerely believes he or she is Christian and even has a level of righteousness in their actions but is really motivated by their own selfish interpretation of the unselfish Christian scriptures. I'm going to read that again. Pseudo-Christian is one who sincerely believes he or she is Christian and even has a level of righteousness in their actions, but is really motivated by their own selfish interpretation of the unselfish Christian scriptures. See, this selfishness is deeply rooted in them. So now, let's continue on with our Second John. Verse 8. Oh, excuse me. Second part of verse 7. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. We talked about the Antichrist last week, right? So verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward, the things that we work for. Not that this is a, a thing of works, but we're living and we're walking in obedience, trying to live holy for the Lord. We don't want to lose that, right? Because we see with Israel, they may have started out in belief, but they didn't continue in belief. These angels may have started out in belief, but they didn't continue in belief. We as Christians, we can start out in belief and may not continue in belief. And these teachers, they're there to throw us off course. And we'll get to some of that in a minute. Verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ 
has both the Father and the Son. So we can't have one without the other. Right? Because guess what? God the Father brings man to Jesus, and no one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So we need both. We can't be a church that just preaches one and not the other. Alright, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor bring him. Receive him into your house. Remember, they were house churches back then. Right? So guess what receiving in the house is today? Even in this church? Even when we watching it on TV? Even when we watching it on YouTube? Listen to the podcast? Whatever it is. Facebook? Doesn't matter. We are not to receive them. Because he says here, what? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house. Nor greet him. Why? Verse 11. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So I'm going to read that from the Amplified. I'm going to read verse 10 and 11 from the Amplified. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, but diminishes or adds to the doctrine of Christ, do not receive or welcome him into your house. And do not give him a greeting or any encouragement. So when we hear these people, don't say amen. Because they may something, say something correct, but then they're saying other things that are wrong. We're not to say amen to that. Because the amen is the truth. That's what that amen is. So be it. It's the truth. Verse 11. For the one who gives him a greeting, who encourages him, or wishes him success unwittingly, participates in his evil deeds. So you don't even realize what you're doing. Right? So we are not to sit up here and entertain these people. So we have to be on guard about that. Alright? So they reject, uh, what was that? Reject authority. They reject authority. I talked about how they reject the authority of God. They use their dreams and they don't want no authority over them. This is why they can fall and still get back up and go right back to the pulpit. Right, so I talked about how there's a difference between a, a, a teacher, a pastor, or whoever that may sin and one that continuously commits sin. Right, but they don't want nobody over them. And, and we see this a lot in, this, in these, some of these movements. They're not, and, and, you know, I guess in a sense that's probably a good thing why we have some of these denominations. Right, but sometimes they, they, they messed up too. But we have to be on guard about that. They don't want authority. They, they reject that authority. And guess what other authority they reject? They reject the authority of the government. They reject the authority of kings, presidents. And then just because they're in the church and just because they say Jesus, we'll support them. We'll be like, amen, because they may go after somebody as a political figure that we don't like. And we'll, we'll condone it. But that's not the ways of God because the scriptures, we went over it, tells us to pray for them. Right? So now, when we're busy saying amen, and we're agreeing with them, we're partaking in their evil deeds. And we're not supposed to do that. Right? But yet, we see Christians over and over and over and over. No matter who it is. Because guess what? No one comes to authority, a position of authority like that without God's okay. That's right. But we look at it, and we say, hey, they did this, they did that. So what if they killed somebody? Not that we agree with it, not that we condone it, but God knows. So what if they cheated to get there or they assassinated somebody else to get there? God knows. There's a reason why God allowed it. And ultimately, it's happening because of sin in this world. So it is not our place to go ahead and speak against that. 
it is our place to intercede to pray. Amen. 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 So what else? They speak evil of dignitaries. Now on the surface, that would appear to be, well, dignitaries of um, government leaders and things like that. But that's not what it's talking about. Let's go to who are these uh, evil dignitaries? These dig evil dignitaries uh, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 shows that the dignitaries are actually the angels. Right? That's why he goes down to verse 9. It says this. Yet Michael, the archangel, and contended with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Right? So let's go back to 2 Peter. Verse 9. I'll be reading verse 12. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Verse 11. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute, brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. All right, so let's go back to Jude. So again, remember at the beginning, I think I talked about how he, uh, Jude quotes from Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha. So that's where that comes from. So we don't know how this came about, how we know about this, but we know at some point that what we do know is God hid the body of Moses and Satan wanted the body of Moses and Michael came to contend with Satan about that body, right? So I'm going to read verse 9 again. Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you. So I talked about this before, how sometimes, oftentimes we have Christians that are rebuking the devil. Right? We're, we're not supposed to do it. And you know what? It dawned on me this week reading this. We pray, for, we pray to the devil sometimes too. Let me tell you how we do that. We start, thank you, Father God. We love you. We praise you, Lord God. And now, now this is what we start to do. Satan, we rebuke you. We cast you on your feet. We're supposed to be praying to God. Why are we praying to Satan? Yeah. We're not supposed to be doing that. But yet, we're opening up doors... And we don't even realize we're opening it. Why? Because again, that, the scripture doesn't tell us to do that. That's right. But we see ministries do that. And we follow that and then we think that's what we're supposed to do. No, 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 no. no. If, if Michael, who's an archangel, didn't do that, cause we, we can't rebuke him out of our own authority. He is a worthy opponent, worthy adversary. We don't fear him because we have God. And see, the thing about it is this. If we're walking with God, he knows who we are. If we're not walking with God, guess what? He don't know who we are. Because guess what? When God said to Job, I read that a, a, a few weeks ago, he, he said, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, he knew who Job was. But he couldn't touch Job. He couldn't touch Job. Right? Now, let's go to the New Testament. The sons of Sceva. Right? They were trying to cast out a demonic spirit. And, and what, did, what did the Spirit say? Paul I know. 
Jesus is I know. Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> See, we, we, we're thinking that, oh, the enemy knows who these people are that are not saved. No, he don't care about them. But he knows who we are if we're walking with the Lord. And see, he says, uh, I think it was Second Peter, he talks about how they're saying things, talking about these false teachers, that they don't know nothing about. We, we, I've heard ministers talk about how angel here, angel here, demons here, the angels fighting the demons and all. They don't know. We get so caught up and, and, and with all this stuff. God doesn't want us to do that. He just wants us to walk with him in obedience. Amen. But see, really, that stuff is almost like superhero stuff, so we get excited about that. And then we go off the deep end, and now we got people teaching stuff. Like, where did you get that from? It didn't come from the Bible. Oh, this angel, that angel, this demon is, this demon is that, this demon is called this. Where, where are you getting that from? I know one that gave his name, Legion, to Jesus. Right? But we start messing with the enemy. See, and the thing about it is, some of these teachers know what they're doing. Some of them don't know what they're doing. Some of them, never mind, let me not get ahead of myself, because <laughs> we're coming up on the scripture in a minute. <laughs> All right, uh, verse 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute, be brute beasts, same thing Second Peter said, in these things they corrupt themselves. So really, when they're going around and they're rebuking this one, talking about this angel, this demon, they're thinking they're spiritual, but it's really of their flesh. Yeah. And they don't know what they're talking about because this stuff's not in Scripture. Yeah. And we're making up stuff thinking, oh, the Lord gave me this revelation. And I see it now. Oh, really? Show me. Will you see that? And they're having these dreams. The Lord did this. That's why I told you all before in reference to the Passion Translation. Right? When you read about that author there, he's not right. But then, in charismatic churches, that's really the most used Bible that pastors are teaching from. And, it, and, and, it, and it's like, what it does is, is it's trying to because actually the author says he's dead now, but he talked about how he was trying to capture God's emotions in that. How, how, how about the context of what God is saying? And that's exactly why he couldn't translate it in the Old Testament, because you ain't getting much emotion like that from the Old Testament. Right? So out of Psalms and Proverbs, that's it. That's the only thing he had for the Old Testament. Right? But we got to stay away from that. Because it is essential stuff. Right, and that's what's being taught by a lot of teachers, and we can't we can't engage in when we engage in it, we partake in that stuff. It's not a God. All right, verse eleven. Woe to them. Woe sounds bad. Right, woe to them. And actually, when you read Revelation, there are a lot of woes in Revelation. Amen. Yeah, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. And perished in the rebellion, excuse me, rebellion of Korah. So, what's the way of Cain? Cain, we're all familiar with Cain. See, Cain was jealous of Abel. He had envy of Abel. That's what some of these teachers do. They get jealous. And then they start changing their ways on how they do things. Because, so, back in the 50s and 60s, we're all familiar with Oral Roberts. Another one you might not be familiar with was Jack Cole. Right? So, they were both 
quote-unquote, faith healing evangelists. But guess what they were doing? They were competing. One would buy one tent, another one would buy another tent, and they were competing to see who can get the biggest tent. That's not of God. That's not of God. But yet, they go from town to town claiming God sent them, God told them, but they were really competing against each other to see who can get the biggest tent, who can get the most people in there. That's not God. All right, so Cain, uh, Balaam, the era of Balaam for prophet. We all familiar with Balaam? Tom, donkey? How many of us think Balaam was a false prophet? Y'all scared to raise your hand. <laughs> Balaam was a true prophet. We have people say, oh, he was a false prophet. No, there's nothing in the Bible that says he was a false prophet. He was a corrupt prophet, but he heard from God. When you read about Balaam, I think it's Numbers 22 to 24, I believe. When you read about him, he heard from God. See, what happened was the king of the Moabites was uh, sent men to him. And they wanted him to come and curse Israel. But God spoke to him and said, no, you won't curse him. Right? So he doesn't go at first. Then he sends more important people to, to Balaam. And then God tells him to go. Right? But you won't curse him. And then as he's traveling, that's when the angel sees the donkey. I mean, the donkey sees the angel. <laughs> and the donkey sees the angel, and then he doesn't see it, He gets frustrated. Right? But then he eventually gets to, uh, to um, the king of the Moabites, and he says, I can only speak what God tells me to speak. That's a true prophet. Right? So, king of the Moabites is like, all right, I'm going to take you up here. Go ahead, curse them. God tells him to bless him. And that's what he does. He blesses Israel. Right? He makes sacrifice and he blesses them. And then he does it again. And then the king is getting mad and says, you know what? You get no money. Go. I'm not paying you. Because you didn't do what I asked you to do. Right? So, greed sets in. The wealth sets in. And he said, all right, well, I can't curse them, but let me tell you how you can get God angry with them. Right. So he causes Israel to go astray. And then I think it's like 20, 25,000 Israelites die from a plague. Right. Why? Because he causes them to go into idolatry and, and have uh, sex with the prostitutes or the Moabites. And God gets angry with them. But see, he got angry with Balaam as well. See, but Balaam was a true prophet who enjoyed profit, P-R-O-F-I-T. And that's how some of them are today. Nothing changes, right? Because guess what the enemy uses? The same thing. Idolatry. Well, what's the idolatry? The money, the houses, the cars, uh, sex, sexual stuff as well, right? This is from a quote-unquote prophet's page. I just found out about this guy this week. <laughs> I, and I read it. So this is what he has on his page about him. The miraculous and insensate testimonies attributed to his ministry are incalculable. With many reporting physical and mental healing. Watch this. Financial breakthroughs, property acquisitions, home and auto acquisitions, debt cancellations, and favorable legal outcomes. What does that got to do with God? Nothing. But... What he does is he's using the mammon, the stuff that appeals to things of the flesh. He has over 300,000 followers. He's got three churches in three different uh, states. 
And his churches are packed. And guess what? He gives prophecies every year. Every year. And then people flock to him. And he done slept with a couple of pastor's wives. And he gets right back up in the pulpit. And says, his pastor tells him, keep doing what you're doing. Keep going. And guess what? When they were commenting about him. Well, when uh, somebody did a video on him. People were commenting below. Prophet, keep, keep going on. The devil's after you. But see. I watched a snippet of his video of, I think it's 2021, and all at the beginning, he's talking about the book he's trying to sell. Then he's talking about a t-shirt, and then how, oh, you need to get this t-shirt, and somebody was wearing this t-shirt, somebody came up and gave them money, right? What does that got to do with God? Right, but he wants you to buy stuff, right? And he's deceiving people that way. That's Brian Karn, by the way. <laughs> so, I'll stay away from him. All right. So, we got to be careful on who we live. Even with these prophets, he's, there could be some true prophets out there. But they have ulterior motives. Only God knows their hearts. That's why you can't act out on what some prophets say. It should be confirmation. It should be confirmation. All right. So, rebellion of Korah. This again. So Korah, when Israel was in the wilderness, Korah decides, hey, I'm going to talk to some of y'all because he was one of the elders. We're going, we, hey, why is Moses in charge? Because guess what? We're all Israelites. So who put him in charge? Well, we know who put him in charge. Because guess what? Because Korah wasn't speaking up when he was in Egypt. Nope. He was quiet then. You didn't know who he was when he was in Egypt. But now you get a little bit of freedom. <laughs> And now you get a little bit of following, and now all of a sudden you want to take over. Right? So he goes to, he goes to Moses, and he's telling him all these things, and, he, and he, he's, he's got his posse behind him, and they're all like, yeah, yeah, who put you in charge? This is Israel now. Yeah. After Moses led them out, God used Moses to lead, and Mo God actually said, I'm going to make you a God to them. That was God's words. And they, here they are. Coming against Moses. Right? But Moses, he doesn't get angry. He bows down. Because the Bible says he was a humble man. He was full of humility. See, we don't have to get up in the uproar. And then God starts speaking. He says, all right. I'm paraphrasing all this. <laughs> he says, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Y'all meet here tomorrow about this time. And let's see. So, they say, Okay. And then they come up, and then I guess they, they, the, the, some of his chorus followers are like, okay, I'm not getting a good feeling about this. And Moses said, well, look. And see, Moses, he starts to intercede for the people. And he says, look, whoever's on the Lord's side, hey, come over here. So some of them leave. But Korah, some of them stand there, and guess what happened? God causes the earth to open up, open up. and swallow them. That's right. Yeah. Because, see, the destruction was there. Why? Again, they don't like authority. Right? They want to circumvent people. Right? They go in the churches and tear them up. They pull people from churches and say, hey, they're not using you properly. Hey, you were called to be a prophet. Really? Well, if you call to be a prophet, how come you don't know that? 
But you need somebody to tell you that. And then they go and they follow them to these churches and they get these titles. And then again, they're sitting up there on the stage, get what they want. Mm -mm. And we got to make sure we don't go into that. Amen. And truth of the matter is, Korah was really just envious of Moses and Aaron. Because Korah was actually a Levite priest. But he was envious of that. But he thought he was competing against Moses, but he was actually competing against God. Because it wasn't Moses' idea to do all that. It was God's idea. Because Moses didn't even want to go. <laughs> Moses freaked out at the burning bush. Like I'm sure we all would. Yeah. Brandon Bush started talking to us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, now we'd be familiar with it because we done read it, but yeah. Moses wasn't familiar with it back then. Yeah. Right? So, but still, that's how they do. That's how they do. And, and, and they try to interject that seed in the other believers. Right? So what else do they do? 12 through 15. I think. Uh, all right, verse 12. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by, by the roots. So, spots in your love feast. So these love feasts back then was actually Christian fellowships. Even how we would get together at the house and uh, had the food. And then they would do is they would partake in communion. So what, what, um, what Jude is saying here, there's spots. That word spots actually means it's a Greek word for rocks, hidden rocks. So when you think about it, when you have a hidden rock within the reef, that's what it, that's what it means. A ship can't see it. And then the ship will get caught and run aground and get stuck. And then the waves start beating and causes a hole and then causes the ship to either get stuck or sink. That's what these false teachers do. They cause Christians to get stuck and sink. And they don't see it because they're hidden. And they don't come into these feasts. They'll come into these churches and start whispering. Hey, pastor's not right. Pastor's doing this. Why are they singing like that? Why are they playing praise and worship on the radio? That's what they do. And they cause people to run aground. They're clouds without water, trees without fruit. They give an appearance, so they give an appearance that they have water in them. But when they speak, they give nothing refreshing. Because all they're doing is giving revelation in the dream that they have. And then when you hear them, they don't ever give a scripture. They may give one verse, maybe two. But then everything else is about the revelation that God has given them. Right? So they, they and then we're like, oh man, they know what they're talking about. And they're like, no, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> because they're coming like saying oh this and that and, and God saying this and that God is not saying that because they're saying his word and they make up stuff as they go and again they cause people to get shipwrecked right so what and, and the autumn trees without fruit guess what they give an appearance of a tree but they have no character inside so these are the same people that will tell you how to, the seven steps to get your prayer answered but it won't tell you the seven steps to live right and have the character of Christ. Amen. These are the same people that will tell you, hey, God's got a mate for you. 
They won't tell you to get out of the bad relationship you're already in. They will tell you, hey, God's got a blessing for you because his promises are sure. But they don't tell you as long as you continue in sin, those promises are not coming. But they keep feeding you the line, the line, the line. And you get hooked in because you want to hear the blessing. You want the blessing. And then we flock to these prophets because we're too lazy to get before God ourselves. So I would rather somebody come and tell me so now I don't have to consecrate myself. Because they are anointed. Well, we think they're anointed. And see, deep down we know that the anointing actually costs something. It's going to cost us to crucify our flesh. And we don't want to crucify our flesh because it hurts. That's right. So I would rather go to somebody who I think is anointed, have them lay hands on me, have them pray for me, because what they say is going to come to pass. And then all they are is Korah, Cain, Balaam, hidden rocks, the spots, waters without clouds. That's what they are. Pulled up by the roots. In the Old Testament, that meant judgment. So, guess what? They're, see, and the thing is, they, they think they're getting away with it. They think they, they're right, but God is allowing them to stay here because of his mercy. He hopes they repent, but he knows they're not going to repent. And it goes back to what John said, the Antichrist. What Christ said, the wolves in sheep's clothing. Because they come into the house and they're teaching things that has nothing to do with God. They're trying to give stuff. And, and it's not anything about it. It's a lot of times it's not even coming from the devil. They're making it up as they go. Y'all hear me say, devil gets blamed for a lot of stuff. Yes, he's accused of the brethren, but some things we do ourselves. Oh, sign of judgment for the pull up of the roots is uh, for reference Psalms 52 5 and Proverbs 2 22. So, they, verse 13. Raise, this will be my last verse. Raging, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Raging waves of the sea. What happens with the, when the sea rages? There's no rest. There's no rest. They're not even in peace. They're finding the next way, thinking about the next way to get something to them. To get their next blessing that they think is coming from God, which is actually just coming from people. Wandering stars. False teachers are gone, of course. And guess what? Instead of, you know how you follow stars <laughs> to, to, to track your direction, no star and all that? They're wandering stars. They're leading people off course. We're, we're listening to them and we're thinking they're teaching the word but they're leading Christians off course and it's so, it's so prevalent it's so prevalent in just about any church really any movement, charismatic apostolic, this new apostolic movement is dangerous and they're doing things and it's all signs and wonders focus based signs, wonders, titles that's what they go by and then we wonder because my wife reminded me this week how are these people going to get sucked in by the Antichrist? Because he's going to come in with these are the things that they look for. These signs and wonders. Oh, doing what they're doing. They're not going nowhere. <laughs> they're going to get sucked in. 
And see, the Antichrist is going to come spewing words, just like some people do from the pulpit now. And then they're going to see these signs and wonders because that's what the people are gravitating to now. The signs and wonders. Hey, I'll gravitate to the signs and wonders instead of trying to get the character of Christ. Not realizing that, hey, let me get the character of Christ and God will move. And see, we're so quick, just like I read from that prophet, his page, we're so quick to want to get the materialistic things. That was Balaam. That was Balaam. See, because like we talked about before, we don't live for this world. Amen. See, our blessings coming when we're in his presence and we're in glory. Amen. The new heaven, the new earth. Amen. Right? These people want us to live in this world now. Amen. To have the house now. Amen. To have the car now. To have the fancy suits now. Amen. To have the following now. And they take advantage of people. They take advantage of people who are bound in their hurts. And we're going we're gonna to see at the end of June that, hey, guess what? We're not to leave those people who are hurt. We're not to leave those people who are struggling. We're supposed to intercede. We're supposed to help them out of that fire. Amen. Right? But they want those people to stay in the fire. And the mark of the mire, why? Because those people depend on them. And that's what they want. And God's not pleased with that. But you know the beauty of all this? God cares and loves about us so much that he's willing to punish those who lie to us. He's willing to punish those who lie to us. Who lie on his word. Who's leading people astray. And, now, and the sad part is, even as people who are being led astray, they're going to be led right to hell, right with them. Right? Because we spend so much time, and, and not that it's wrong, we spend so much time going out to the world, the church is failing. The church is sinking. Church in America is dying. It's never going to die because, you know, church is the body of Christ. And as long as Christ is there, church is never going to die. But we're, we're, we're losing. The light is starting to dim because now the true Christians are starting to sink, darken, right? They're starting to go astray. We've seen Christians who live for Christ. They love the Lord. And then all of a sudden now they're back out in the world. And I and the thing about it, I don't even know why, and I wasn't even looking for it, but they're a bunch of pastors. They used to live, they were teaching and preaching the word. But they stopped believing in God. You gotta wonder why. What did they stop doing? What got in them to cause them to go astray when they were serving the Lord? Preaching. The word. And see, even with these prophets, it doesn't mean that they're not called to be a prophet. But like I said, when you start to mix the dirt in there, now they can't see clearly. They can't see straight. And then guess what? Now they feel like, hey, I got to keep giving a word. And then they start making up stuff as they go. And the unfortunate part is, Balaam was more of a true prophet than they are. But yet, they were, they were bad-mouthed prevailing and called him a false prophet. But he wasn't a false prophet. He said it himself. I can't say what the Lord doesn't tell me to say. He said it himself. But they won't do that. They'll keep going and going and going and going. See? Romans, I think it's Romans 15 and 4. It says the scriptures are there for our learning. Right? But they're not learning. Why? Because they're not reading. Why? Because they won't look at Jude. They won't look at Second Peter. Why? Because they want to look at Luke 6.38. 
Give and it should be given unto me. Right? Because money. Right? They want to hear money coming to me now. Right? Because we got to live for this life, this world. Now, God hasn't called us to live. We live for him. Right? And when we live for him. And you know, a lot of these Christian leaders today, they want the glory and the respect that the Old Testament leaders had. But they didn't realize these prophets in the Old Testament, they spent a lot of alone time. They weren't around a lot of people. But now they want the glory, but they want to be around people and get the pat on the back. And these people are dying. They're dying and they're going to hell and they're leading people to hell. And we have to be on guard. We have to guard ourselves from that stuff. That's, that's contending for the faith. We don't contend for the faith in the form of apologetics. No, it, it is a spiritual battle. Yes, it's a physical battle, but it's, also, it's a spiritual battle. And we, gotta, we have to remember that. Amen? Amen. Amen. We'll finish this out next week. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father God. Lord God, help us, Lord. Lord God, I just ask for forgiveness for the church body in America, Father God. Forgive us, Father God, for not heeding your word and contending for the faith, Lord. Lord God, I pray for your continued mercy to be upon us in America, Lord God. And your mercy to be upon the church abroad, O oh Heavenly Father God. Lord God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would help us, Lord God, as a body of Christ, not to be led astray, Lord God. Help us to have our eyes and ears open, O oh Heavenly Father God. Help us, Lord God, to be people of humility as Moses was, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to be wise, Lord, even as you spoke to the disciples to be wise as serpents, Lord. And harmless as doves, Lord. So help us to be that in this world, O Heavenly Father God. So, Lord God, help us to be a light to the lost, Father God. Not only the lost in the world, but the lost in the church, O Heavenly Father God. Help us to be about our Father's business, Lord God. As you were, Lord Jesus. You were about your Father's business, Lord. And we thank you for setting the example, Lord. Thank you for making a way out of no way, O Heavenly Father God. Lord God, we just praise you. Help us in our daily walk, O Heavenly Father God. Help us, Lord God, to, to, to have a zeal for you, Lord God. To not allow that flame of fire to go out, Father God. And help us, Father God, to warn those who are being deceived, O oh Father God. Not by our words, Lord, but by your word, Father God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. So we just thank you, Lord, for righteousness. Thank you for your protection, Father God. Thank you for watching over us day and night, O oh Heavenly Father God. Thank you for strength. Thank you for health, oh Lord God. Thank you for peace and wisdom. We glorify and we pray, Lord God, that you will watch over us even as we depart this place, Father God. May your hedge of protection continue to be around us everywhere we go, Father God. And may we not go where you don't want us to go, Father God. In Jesus' name we do pray. 